Good afternoon, and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. Coming up this afternoon, we'll have another edition of the Bean Report. Also, we'll hear from the president of the Western Canadian Wheat Growers. Up first in today's country comment, Morgan Cott with the Manitoba Crop Alliance will join us with a Manitoba corn update. The latest farm news and market numbers all coming up over the next 60 minutes. The time now is 12 o'clock. Here's a look at our local news. Good afternoon. You're listening to the Manitoba Farm Journal. Joining us now is Morgan Cott with the Manitoba Crop Alliance with the Manitoba Corn Update. Most of the crop in the province is about V5 to V6 or so. There's some I think that is a fair bit larger, um, but generally I think an average across the province is probably about that V6-ish stage. Um, some of the corn has reached knee-high, uh, so that's great, but certainly not province-wide um, or even across individual farms. It's not uniform. Um, but there is some crop that's looking like it's on, on on time, but generally I would say we're um, maybe maybe on average two weeks behind in the province with corn. Talk a little bit about conditions here, I guess, so far this year with uh, with uh, the heat and, and moisture, you know, um, how's that been? They've been working out well for the crop. I mean, it's growing fast when it grows. I mean, we, we're getting a little rain and they're getting some hot sun. Um, so the, the plants are growing quite quite quickly and we're seeing a little bit of rapid growth syndrome from that quick um, vegetative growth just curling of the whorls or you know the bright yellowing the chlorophyll is just not um, catching up in time so we have lighter plants and you can see that from the road but um, that catches up quite quick quick so it's good growing conditions for you know having to put the crop in late in many situations. Any um, insect or disease concerns at this point? Not really. Everything's looking quite good. Um, just start looking for European corn borer if that's going to be an issue on your farm with varieties or hybrids that you've chosen. Um, John Gavoski is doing a, um, a joint project with European corn borer and some of his colleagues in Ontario. So if people do find European corn borer on their farm, we'd like to be able to sample some so they can give either John or I a a quick shout or message or whatever. Um, but that's nothing alarming. And I think basically we have European corn borer under control in Manitoba for the most part. As far as sunflowers, you know, how are things uh, with that crop? Sunflowers are looking really great. They're also ranging maturity quite a lot just because we were planting them a little bit all over the map this year. There were some guys that got them in early, um, but generally they did go in um, in mid, not mid-June, but right before deadlines. Um, so I'm kind of looking at maybe V10 to V12 stage, um, which the plants obviously could be a little bit further ahead. I would like to see them further ahead than this, but they are growing quite quick and really liking the conditions and well um, as well. And we'll use all this rain and all the sunshine to its full capacity. So it's excellent growing conditions for sunflowers. And any uh, disease or insect uh, concerns with that crop? Or? Uh, I'm just concerned with some grasshopper popu- populations because they seem to really like sunflowers but since the grasshoppers are so tiny right now it's just a matter of really keeping an eye on them and maybe being able to do some perimeter control Um, but otherwise I just want producers to keep an eye on them because they can do a lot of damage for such little critters. That was Morgan Cott with the Manitoba Crop Alliance. A look at what's happening in the markets this afternoon is coming up. Good afternoon, I'm Corey Canute. The canola industry is welcoming the release of the unofficial final clean fuel regulations 
and its recognition of canola's potential to reduce greenhouse gas emissions as a low-carbon feedstock for biofuels. The CFR provides options that would allow Canadian-grown crops to be fully accepted as sustainable and compliant with land use and biodiversity criteria. Chris Vervait is the executive director of the Canadian Oilseed Processors Association. After almost six years of development of this regulation, uh, the canola industry is pleased to see that it's uh, nearing completion or is essentially complete with these unofficial regulations being published. And we really feel that the regulations, uh, as time marches on and they are implemented, that they will provide a strong demand signal for canola's utilization in the Canadian biofuel market. The official publication of the CFR is scheduled for tomorrow with implementation on July 1st of 2023. And Manitoba's corn crop is slightly behind schedule. Morgan Cott is with the Manitoba Crop Alliance. Most of the crop in the province is about V5 to V6 or so. There's some I think that is a fair bit larger, but generally I think an average across the province is probably about that V6-ish stage. Some of the corn has reached knee-high, uh, so that's great, but it's certainly not province-wide um, or even across individual farms. It's not uniform, um, but there is some crop that's looking like it's on, on on time, but generally I would say we're maybe on average two weeks behind in the province with corn. Cod says growing conditions have been ideal so far this year. She says farmers should be scouting for European corn borer. That was a look at today's farm news. I'm Corey Canute. Good afternoon and welcome to the Prairie Eggwire for Tuesday, July 5th. I'm Corey Canute. Coming up today, we'll hear from the president of the Western Canadian Wheat Growers. The Western Canadian Wheat Growers has made its submission to the Pest Management Regulatory Agency's review of the Pest Control Products Act. Here's President Gunter Joachim. The submission was made that uh, PMRA doesn't really need a major overhaul uh, as far as the way they do business, the way they conduct a review of uh, of crop protection products that we use on the farm. Uh, it is very science-based right now and up to now. And I, I would say that Canada has one of the highest standards as far as pest control products that we use on farm and in Canada, across Canada. So I, I don't see the need for our government to have a need to change the process, which is very science-based at the moment. There's scientists involved, and it is quite a rigorous um, test procedure to uh, either retest uh, products that we use at the moment or to certify new uh, products that come online. So for the government to go out and uh, engage uh, advisors that aren't really science-based is, is just foolish in, in our minds. Yeah, I guess uh, maybe just talk a little bit more about, you know, last year the, the government um, pausing a decision um, on that and, and what that could mean. What's happening in Europe, for example, they're switching away from a risk-based model. And risk-based is you assess the risk that certain products that we use have. It's a a risk versus reward. And they are switching to a precautionary model. 
So switching to a precautionary model has is is not a good idea because anyone that that has a problem with uh, products that you use uh, can say, "Well, I don't know what that's going to do." Like uh, we need to be very careful, and rather than assessing the risk, let's just not use it at all, right? And so it it is really very foolish. And we've seen it when, uh, especially in the last few years, uh, where they have taken away some of the seed treatments that we have for our canola, for flea beetle pressure, for example. And so they've, they've taken some really good products off the market that if used improperly, of course they can be uh, dangerous. But used properly, they do the job really, really well in controlling flea beetles. And so instead, they have taken them off the market and took that tool away from us. And now we're left with inferior products. And we actually have to go out and spray insecticides to control the insects that are eating our crops. So instead of doing a good thing, they made it worse. And so we just want to make sure that we don't have that, uh, you know, ongoing in the years to come. Um, like there's a push on by ENGOs and NGOs to uh, remove glyphosate, for example. And while, well, thank goodness, PMRA has reviewed glyphosate. Uh, they said it's very safe, and of course it is one of the safest products we use. And we want to keep that sort of um, message going. And we want PMRA to uh, make the decisions on science-based information, not on precautionary information that some blogger online found a paper somewhere where somebody said, hey, this is really bad. We shouldn't be using this. And... Uh, Next thing you know, they are in charge of what should be done with a certain crop protection product versus a scientist who says, no, no, wait a minute. This has been scientifically proven not to be dangerous, and if used properly, is very effective in helping us grow high-quality grain. That was Gunter Johum. He's the president of the Western Canadian Wheat Growers. The Canadian Oilseed Processors Association is welcoming the release of the unofficial final clean fuel regulations and its recognition of canola's potential to reduce greenhouse gas emissions as a low-carbon feedstock for biofuels. Here's Executive Director Chris Vervate. After almost six years of development of this regulation, uh, the canola industry is pleased to see that it's uh, nearing completion or is essentially complete with these unofficial regulations being published. Um, and we really feel that the regulations, uh, as time marches on and they are implemented, that they will provide a strong demand signal for canola's utilization in the Canadian biofuel market. Really, canola um, does, as it relates to a biofuel feedstock, is it offers very substantial uh, GHD emission reduction potential. So when we see canola grown on the prairies, 
Uh, we have our farmers taking action, low-carbon uh, farming practices that sequester carbon, things like no-till. Um, this is what makes canola a very desirable feedstock in biofuels. And when it comes to the clean fuel regulation, uh, one of the intentions is to incentivize those types of feedstocks to be more broadly used in biofuels to reduce the emissions in the transportation sector. And, you know, this, uh, these results here, you know, is this kind of what, what you were expecting uh, to come out of this, uh, these regulations here? For the most part, we're still digesting the details. Um, but what we've seen is that the regulations does provide some options uh, for our farmers and for our canola value chain to minimize regulatory burden. Uh, so one of those key options is to have many of our uh, already sustainable production practices recognized without the need for additional red tape or burden. So there are options in the regulation uh, that would allow for our farmers to meet all of the sustainability criteria on aggregate, uh, which is something that we've been pushing on for quite some time. That was Chris Vervate, TZ Executive Director of the Canadian Oilseed Processors Association. That's it for the Prairie Eggwire for today. If you have any questions or opinions to share, send them to us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. I'm Corey Canute. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. The Prairie Eggwire will return tomorrow on the Golden West Farm Network. Time now for a look at the farm calendar. Our annual Farmer Appreciation Lunch takes place Tuesday, July 12th at the Plum Coulee Park from 1130 until 1. Enter to win a Meridian Grain Max 2300 Hopper Bottom Bin. Sponsors this year are Centennial Supply, Mid-City Ready Mix, Carmen Ford, and Borderview Electric. The Roland 4-H Museum is open throughout July and August. The hours are 1 to 4 p.m. Call 204-343-2061 for appointments or for more information. Manitoba Crop Diagnostic School takes place this week in Carmen at the University of Manitoba ENR Morrison Research Farm. Manitoba Forage and Grassland Association is hosting a workshop entitled Health Check for Your Pasture and Soil. July 6th, the cost $30, register on the MFGA website. And the Suris River Watershed District is hosting its annual banquet July 7th at the Hartney Community Hall. Tickets are $50. It's time now for the Bean Report, brought to you by Manitoba Pulse and Soybean Growers. Joining us today is production specialist Laura Schmidt. So soybeans range from V1 to V3 and will be starting to flower soon with the change in day length. IBC symptoms have started to show up in some fields, but many fields do remain symptom-free. Field peas range from 6 to 12 true leaf nodes, with some at R1 or flower bud, with a few open blooms scattered throughout the field. As pea flowering advances this week, start looking for microsphorella blight in the lower canopy, check plant tips for pea aphids, and dig up roots to assess nodulation. Dry beans range from V1 to V3, and fava beans range from seven nodes to beginning bloom. As with peas, flowering is the best time to check nodulation and start looking for pea aphids and fava beans too. We have had strong winds and hail reported in some areas of the province. There's been leaf tearing and stem breakage. So in some areas, plants are regrowing, while in others, plant stands have been reduced from those storms. To learn more about defoliation effects on soybean yield, check out this week's bean report at manitobapulse.ca. For all crops, seedling diseases and root rots have impacted plant stands in areas of the field that have remained saturated. And grasshopper nymphs have been feeding at field edges. At these early vegetative stages, the threshold for control in soybeans is greater than 30% defoliation, and for dry beans, it's greater than 35% defoliation. 
border or edge sprays at these stages are often enough for controlling these grasshopper nymphs. We've also seen blister beetle adults found in some fields. So the blister beetle larvae feed on grasshopper eggs in the spring. And as adults, they can occur in small patches in the field, but they don't often feed in the for very long before they move on. While they do cause some defoliation, it's usually not economical to control those blister beetles. And then the last one to touch on today would be those pea aphids I've been talking about. We found some migrating into pea and soybean fields already. And unlike soybean aphids, these pea aphids overwinter here. So we scout peas around flowering and potting to monitor for this insect. You can either check plant tips the top eight inches or conduct 10 sweeps at four locations across the field. You assess those populations in different areas, including the field edges. Uh, traditionally, the economic threshold for peas has been two to three aphids per plant tip or 90 to 120 aphids per 10 sweeps. At greater pea prices, the economic threshold for control might be reached a bit earlier for this. And if that threshold's reached, uh, application should be made at that early pod stage when 50% of the plants have produced young plods, as this is kind of the most sensitive stage to aphid feeding. But also remember to check for your natural enemies that might be controlling those pea aphid populations and include them in your decisions. Now, Laura, I wanted to just talk a little bit more about uh, foliar fungicide. What advice would you have there? Yeah, so since peas are flowering, that's kind of one of the next decisions we'll be making. So microsporella or ascochyta blight is the main disease foliar fungicides in peas, infecting most pea crops at some severity level each year. The impact on yield is determined by how early that disease sets and how quickly it progresses into the upper canopy. So early infections during flowering and flat pod stages cause the most damage, so we want to be scouting for this. So scout for symptoms from 10th true node stage to beginning bloom. And we have a fungicide decision worksheet available at manitobapulse.ca that will cover disease risk and disease ID tips to assess if a fungicide application might be economical in that field. Those fungicides should be applied when one flower is open on most plants across the field. And if that warm, humid weather is persisting, the disease is progressing up the canopy, do consider a second application uh, 10 to 14 days later using a different mode of action. It is likely that our microsporella pathogen is resistant to group 11 strobilurin fungicides. So if applying a foliar fungicide to manage this disease, select a product that has more fungicide groups than just a group 11 alone. But you can find more information on this disease and some helpful pictures in this week's bean report at manitobapulse.ca. And finally, um, you know, with all the moisture here this spring, um, has there been concerns with um, iron deficiency chlorosis? Certainly. So IDC or iron deficiency chlorosis is showing up in some soybean fields where those new trifoliate leaves are turning lime green to yellow. So after V1, soybean roots need to acidify their root zone to access the iron that's available in the soil. Excess soil moisture, calcium carbonate, soluble salts, and or high nitrate levels can all hinder that iron uptake into the plant and increase your risk of IDC. If those plants were covered by V6, yield loss is expected to be pretty minimal. Uh, but it's good to go out and scout and check and see where, what you're looking at for in your field. In-season management options for IDC haven't been very effective, but you can accurately diagnose that problem and adjust management strategies for future years by selecting IDC-tolerant varieties. Thanks, Laura. Laura Schmidt is a production specialist with Manitoba Pulse and Soybean Growers. The Bean Report is brought to you by Manitoba Pulse and Soybean Growers. You can find out more at manitobapulse.ca.
Time now for another look at today's farm news. Manitoba's corn crop is about two weeks behind normal. Morgan Cott with the Manitoba Crop Alliance talked about growing conditions so far. It's growing fast. When it grows, I mean, we're getting a little rain and we're getting some hot sun. The plants are growing quite quickly. We're seeing a little bit of rapid growth syndrome from that quick um, vegetative growth, just curling of the whorls or, you know, the bright yellowing, the chlorophyll is just not um, catching up in time. So we have lighter plants and you can see that from the road, but um, that catches up quite quick. So it's good growing conditions for, you know, having to put the crop in late in many situations. She says farmers should be scouting for a European corn borer. And the Canadian Oilseed Processors Association is welcoming the release of the unofficial final clean fuel regulations and its recognition of canola's potential to reduce greenhouse gas emissions as a low-carbon feedstock for biofuels. Here's Executive Director Chris Vervate. Really, canola um, does, as it relates to a biofuel feedstock, is it offers very substantial Uh, GHD emission reduction potential. So when we see canola grown on the prairies, uh, we have our farmers taking action, low-carbon farming practices that sequester carbon, things like no-till. This is what makes canola a very desirable feedstock in biofuels. And when it comes to the clean fuel regulation, uh, one of the intentions is to incentivize those types of feedstocks to be more broadly used in biofuels to reduce the emissions in the transportation sector. The official publication of the CFR is scheduled for tomorrow with implementation July 1st of 2023. I'll be back after this to wrap up today's program. We've come to the end of another Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. Today's closing numbers with more in-depth commentary on what's happening in the markets is coming up at 10 to 2 on the Markets Farm Program. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. Hope you can join us back here tomorrow starting at 12 noon.